Wow, Father, thank you for all those gifts that you give us and how you tell us and communicate to us what those are in your word. Uh, Especially in Ephesians, as we've been going through the first three chapters here in the last few weeks. Now, we just sang a song in which you said out loud, if you were singing this, you said out loud, Lord, have your way in me. And I want to just ask you, are you serious about that? Were you serious when you sang those words? Is that your prayer this morning? Lord, you know what? Have your way with me. I surrender it all to you. Uh, My hopes, my dreams, my opinions, my will, my desire, my kingdom that I continue to once in a while grab a hold of and want to rule myself. Now, I want to start this morning with a question, and the question is this. What are you willing to do to belong? What are you willing to do to belong to something, an organization, or a group of people? Think about your past history and groups that you've belonged to and, or wanted to belong to. What were you willing to do to be a part of that group? Now, when we join an organization... We obligate ourselves to the rules and the standards of that organization, don't we? When we sign on the dotted line and we say, I commit to being a part of this, when we have a missionary that signs on to a a sending agency, the agency says, this is what we believe in, this is what we value, these are our rules, do you covenant to abide by those as you represent us and the Lord Jesus Christ in another country, and, you know, that person signs on that line. Uh, What about the aims, the objectives, the standards? Uh, As citizens of the United States of America, there are certain laws that we are to uphold and follow. When we join a service club or an athletic team, it's the same thing, right? Uh, This is what you will do. This is the shape that you will be in. This is the bar that we're going to set for you. And this is what we want you to follow in order to be a part of our group, to be accepted by us, essentially. And, And I think sometimes we're willing to cut corners on our views or beliefs or things, or we'll let some things slide a little bit in order to be a part of said group or organization or, or whatever. And I think sometimes, even, it seems we are more willing to follow rules and regulations and expectations of a secular organization or group. And then when it comes to Scripture and the commands of God and things that we know that he says, this is what I want you to do, you know, we can kind of waffle on that. We can kind of get wishy-washy on those things. And I think part of the reason is because we have an incredibly gifting, loving, and gracious God, and we know that he is forgiving and patient and all of those things. And, and that sort of sways us to be willing to take advantage of that. I mean, I would suggest that if, if, if any of us think we've never been in that position or we've never, you know, sort of let something slide because, because it would benefit us or somebody else, uh, uh, I, I don't think maybe we're being honest with ourselves. 
Now, in today's passage, which is Ephesians chapter 4, uh, you can turn there right now and be there ready. Uh, in today's passage, Paul is moving from the first full three chapters where he's describing and laying the foundation of what we know and how we've been blessed by God. I mean, he says, that we, he says things like, we have been given every spiritual blessing. That, that God chose us before the foundations of the earth, that, that he's the one that provides our salvation. He's the one that justifies us. He's the one that accepts us. He's the one that reconciles us with God. He's the one that adopts us into his kingdom. Heirs with full and total rights as one who was blood-born to the kingdom who was a true child. And, and this is especially true for us in the room who are non-Jews, who are Gentiles. As Gentiles, we have been grafted into the family of God. Paul moves from that foundation to the effect that that foundation and that knowledge and that, and that love and grace and mercy from God has on our life. Okay, we know this. This is true of us. We've been gifted this. Now, what does that look like on a day-to-day -day basis for us as Christians and as Christ followers and those who are seeking God? Um, does our behavior change? Do we make decisions differently uh, on a daily basis. How, how what we've been told in the first three, chapter then, first three chapters then informs and shapes our experience and our behavior and our obedience. You know, sometimes I think, and, and it's true, I, I had a friend once who said, you know, as churches we, we preach grace and we preach grace and we preach grace, and then when we become Christians or the person gives their life to Jesus Christ, we hit them with the law. Sometimes that's true. But I think sometimes, for fear of hitting them with the law, we don't talk about the law and God's expectations at all. And Paul does. Paul, Paul challenges us with a great deal this morning, and it, it challenges me with a great deal. Right there in Ephesians chapter 4, if, if you didn't bring a Bible or you don't own a Bible, underneath the seats in front of you should be a Bible, and if... Um, if you turn in that Bible to page 1,158, you will find the book of Ephesians and then just go forward a couple chapters to chapter 4. And I want to read verse 1. Look at it in your Bible with me. As a prisoner for the Lord, Paul says, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. So he's just been talking about the calling we've received in the first three chapters. And now Paul says, I urge you to live a life worthy of that calling. Okay, now it's interesting to me that Paul says that he's not a prisoner of Rome, he's not a prisoner of the government, but that he is a prisoner for the Lord. Why would Paul make that distinction? Why would Paul make that clarification? And, and I think it's because Paul wants to make sure that we all continue to hear that God is in control, that God is sovereign. It's, it's because of God that Paul is in the place that he's at. In addition, I think Paul is also emphasizing the fact that he knows what it's like to suffer persecution. You know, oftentimes we will experience something really difficult and we'll have somebody come, come see us or talk to us and, and we think in our minds this person might say something like, well, I know exactly how you feel, which is 
silly to say, if you've ever said that to anybody, um, we don't, we may know a little bit about what maybe that person is feeling, but we're not that person. So to say, I know exactly how you feel, um, we can say something like, you know, I've experienced something to something similar to this, and this is what it was like for me. I think that is way more helpful than trying to say, you know what, I know exactly how you feel. But Paul, but, but often we'll say uh, from the get-go, you, you have no idea what I feel like or what I've experienced. Paul is saying here, okay, I know quite a bit about persecution. If you're experiencing persecution or you're struggling or you're wrestling with your faith, um, I'm, in, I'm in chains because of this. So know that from, from the very beginning. Uh, and Paul also would say, even risking punishment or death, he would say, it's worth it. For the kingdom of God, for Jesus Christ, it is worth it to give up your life, to put yourself in a position uh, of peril because of that. And then uh, Paul says, even taking on the responsibility of living a certain way, Paul says, is not only worth it, but Paul says, he's, it says he's urging the Ephesians. He's urging us to do just that, that no matter what's in our face or no matter what we're being confronted with, that we would continue to live a life that's worthy of the calling that we have received. Now, I want to make sure that you're not hearing me say, if we're just good enough and, and we are, prove ourselves to be worthy enough that God will save us, that's not what I'm saying. No, God saves us first. And only God can save us. And it's from that moment that we begin, that we begin looking at our own life in, in, uh, in response to God and, and we begin wanting to live a life that's worthy of the calling. Now, we will fail. Um, we are human beings. <laughs> and we are worthy and we are valuable because Christ died for us, not because we're really, really good people. Christ didn't die for us because we're really, really good people. That's not what the Bible says. While we were yet sinners, while we were yet crummy people, while we were yet spitting in the face of God, Jesus Christ came down here and he paid the price for even that sin. So we absolutely do not justify ourselves in any way, shape, or form, but our adoption into the kingdom then begins this transformation, this, this molding, this shaping. And Paul is saying, look, this is part of that shaping. We have a responsibility to make decisions on an everyday basis, and we need to surrender those decisions to the power of the Holy Spirit and Jesus Christ as we live our lives. And, and we can't just make excuses for our sin. We can't just say, well, that's just who I am. Because God is willing to save us where we, are, where we are. I almost said where we're at, and that's not proper English. Where we are, but he's not willing to leave us there. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. So our adoption into the kingdom of God comes before our ability and call to live a worthy life. 
and our walk. Now, having said that, Paul is urging, he's pleading with the Ephesians. Look at your life. And consequently, uh, he's calling us to live a life worthy of our calling. The call to a worthy life. As believers, we should have a loving concern for one another and be willing to call out, to implore, to beg, to plead with one another to respond in obedience to the gospel. And to live our lives on a daily basis in obedience to the Bible. Now, in Matthew 28... Jesus, as just before he ascends into heaven, he says to the disciples, here's what I want you guys to do. It's the Great Commission. We look at this as a command to us as well. He says, first of all, I want you to make disciples. I want you to make other disciples. Proclaim, teach, preach. Okay, then what does he say? After you've made disciples, after I have, have drawn them into a relationship with me, then what does he want us to do? What does it say? We did this a couple weeks ago. He says, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Okay? That's step two. First, make disciples. Second, baptize them. And then what does he say? And I think we sometimes leave this off. What does Jesus say? He says, teach them to obey everything that I have commanded. And today, we're looking at some of those things that he has commanded. And I want us to consider these seriously. You know, we, as we listen to pastors and teachers proclaim the Word of God, and we learn about what it means to, and we learn about what it means to study it ourselves, then what do we do? We do it. We obey it. We live it out. As a Christ follower, we know we've been predestined. He chose us before the foundations of the world. We know that we've been saved. We know that we've taken that, that volitional, willful act and believed. And then one day we will be glorified. But what in the meantime? How are we going to live? Are we going to live like some of the high school students and myself when I was in high school and college when I was asking questions that, that, uh, that were along the lines of my behavior, do we continue to ask ourselves or, or pray or ask God, um, is this okay, is this okay, trying to nudge the line to see how much we can get away with? When you go to the Grand Canyon, I talked to somebody here not too long ago, and they said, I was really surprised when we went to the Grand Canyon because there's like no fences anywhere. It's a dangerous place to be. So when you go to the Grand Canyon, are you asking yourself, how close to the edge can I get before I actually fall into the canyon and die? Or do you ask yourself, where can I observe this thing safely? Two totally separate questions, and sometimes we apply those to our everyday decisions in life. How far can I push you know, what is God really saying when, when he wants me to keep the marriage bed pure? What is that? How far can I nudge that line? Some of you on a Sunday morning, you watch me and you see me stand really close to the edge of the stage and you wonder, is he going to fall off? Now, I don't often think about that consciously, but, you know, I've done this long enough that I, I kind of know where that edge is and there actually is a little bit of an edge up here and I can feel it. 
Uh, although how many of us have been wandering down the street looking at our cell phone, for instance, and we step off a curb and practically fall on our face? Um, we need to live a life worthy of your calling, Paul urges us. In Philippians 3.14, Paul says, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. I press on to that. He talks about disciplining his life and, and uh, working hard. And in, in the next few verses, Paul outlines in our passage today five characteristics that we are to have in order to live our lives worthy of our calling. Now, again, I want to remind you... I. We're gonna, you're going to fail at these. We're going to fail at these. And, and we need to recognize that God is patient and forgiving and full of grace. When we do, but we don't look for excuses to fail, we repent when we have failed, and we receive that forgiveness and that love again from our Father in heaven. Now, we often refer in our everyday language as Christians uh, to living a life worthy of our calling as our walk with God. Hey, how's your walk going? You know, are you walking the talk? That's another thing we often hear or we say to each other. You know, you say you believe this, and you say that you follow God and you want to follow Him faithfully, but I'm seeing this in your life. What's, what's the deal? Where, why is this, why does this seem so hypocritical to me? Sin is deceptive. Paul says, I beg you to live this way. Five things. Look at verse 2 there. He starts with, well, this is all of them. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. pretty clear. Paul lists here five characteristics of a worthy life. Paul says this is how you are to live. The first attitude, Paul says, that characterizes a Christian's worthy walk is humility. Humility. Humility isn't shyness. It's not being a doormat. It's, it's restraining our sense of entitlement to be the main focus to other people. And it's committing ourselves to promote others' interests above our own. There is nothing, uh, it's, there's nothing more opposite to that statement right there than a big-time college football game. Um, I was in Memorial Stadium yesterday in Lincoln. And, and look, we need to honor people and that sort of thing. But I thought, I, and, and they did, but everything is all about the success. Everything is all about how much this person did and what they accomplished and all of this. And I thought, you know, at the end of the day, that's not what makes that person valuable. That's not what makes that person important. Not how many field goals they kicked or how many games they won as a coach or any of that. It, it actually all boils down to how did they live their life? 
How did they live their life? Because they could accomplish all they want. And if they live completely opposite of what Paul's teaching us, how we need to walk in our life with, we look at that person and we go, eh, I, I don't want to be like that. You could give me all the money in the world. I pray to God that I don't choose the things that that person did. Now, I also absolutely love a good football game, which we really didn't see yesterday. But um, it was a fun experience. It's always a fun experience, even though I had to put red on. I didn't actually have to put red on. And I, I, I like the Huskers, but I'm not a fanatic when it comes to, to that. Because I've been a Cowboys fan for such a long time. You know, it's hard to be a fanatic when you're used to cheering for a 500 season, honestly. Um, and, and, and think about that. As we seek to follow what God says, the standard is here. The bar is high. The bar is really high. And in and of our own personal selves, we can't get there. We can't. We can't get there in and of ourselves. So, Paul says, uh, be completely humble and gentle. Uh, in Philippians 2.3, Paul says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. That is not preached by our culture today. It's not. You will probably only hear that in a church on a Sunday morning or in your Bible as you read it. Our culture says, promote yourself, promote yourself, promote yourself. God says, value others above yourself. And I think oftentimes we think too highly of ourselves. We look down on others. Now, I, I read this little story of this lady. She was sitting in a dentist's office. And, and uh, now, have you, have you ever been guilty of looking at somebody that maybe was in your class, your graduating class, and you think to yourself, man, they look old. <laughs> I mean, I've thought that before. Um, well, there was this lady. She was sitting in a dentist's office waiting room waiting for her first appointment, and she, she noticed the... the uh, the plaque on the wall with the dentist's degree, you know, and, and uh, his credentials. And, and she suddenly remembered that a tall, handsome, dark-haired boy with the same name had been in her high school class some 40 years ago. And she thought, could this be the same guy that I had a secret crush on way back then? And upon seeing him, however, she quickly discarded any such a thought. This balding, gray-haired man with the deeply lined face was way, way too old to have been her classmate. Or was he? So after he examined her teeth, she asked him if he had attended Morgan Park High School. And he said, yes, yes, I did. I'm a Morgan Mustang, he gleamed with pride. When did you graduate, I asked. He says, in 1959, why do you ask? And she says, you were in my class. He looked at me closely, and that ugly, old, wrinkled jerk 
asked, what did you teach? (laughs) Sometimes we think too highly of ourselves. Sometimes God uses other people in a moment of honesty and truthfulness to let us know that maybe we are thinking in this moment a little bit too highly of ourselves. Jesus, of course, is the ultimate example of this, as Paul describes in Philippians chapter 2, verses 7, 8, 7 and 8. Paul says this, Rather he, Jesus, made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Jesus essentially put the interest of his creation, us, humanity, and our salvation above his own. You know, the Bible says, let's be like Christ. Even death on a cross, Jesus was willing to. Humility. Humility is hard, but it's something that God says, look, you need to be this. The second thing, the second attitude Paul says characterizes a Christian's walk, worthy walk, is gentleness. Now, ask yourself this, would you consider yourself a gentle person? And be honest with yourself. Think about interactions you've had with your spouse or with your kids or with your boss or or with your employees and answer that question. Would you say that you are a gentle person? Now, gentleness here means literally meek. It's not weakness. It means we deal with people with kindness instead of gruffness. It means that we treat them with compassion rather than force and with encouragement rather than bullying. Now, I don't think I've ever thought of myself as a gruff, rough, grouchy person. But I do recall a time when I was in college when I, and I I remember it like it was yesterday, I prayed specifically for a period of time that God would make me a gentle person. Now, I have, what I don't remember is why. Maybe I was studying the book of Ephesians and God just convicted my heart in that moment and said, David, I want you to be, a, I want you to be gentle in spirit. And of course, I can't look at that and say, well, then I'm just going to make myself be gentle. No, I need to turn to the Lord to begin to shape and mold me uh, and, and to be that gentle person. And, and that's what I did. Now, I, I know that my wife would say that I still lack it sometimes. I mean, I'm still growing in that because she's right. That is the truth. But I'm unwilling to simply draw the, the conclusion that I am what I am and that's all that I am. I'm not okay with that. And I know God's not because I'm seeing it right here. I want to live a life worthy of my calling and gentleness. And God says gentleness is to be a part of it. Matthew chapter 11, verse 29, Jesus says this, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Again, Jesus is our ultimate example of gentleness. 
Was he always milk toast in a doormat? No, he was not. But he treated people with gentleness. And he says that it is in him that we will find rest for our souls. He walked a life worthy and we are to imitate him. And as we find rest in him, we find our strength in Christ. And we, and we will in turn live in the same manner. Humility, gentleness, and the third attitude that Paul says characterizes a Christian's worthy walk is patience. Patience. Tim Keller describes patience this way. He says, patience does not mean to seethe inward, but not outwardly. He says, it means to be long-suffering of the faults of others and slow in seeking to rebuke them. It's recognizing that spiritual growth takes time and that we are all a work in progress. Now, I've said this before, but, but my dad is one of the most patient men I have ever known in my life. Yes, and trust me, Garrett, I tested it often. Mostly in the face of breaking equipment on the farm, and you all, many of you have heard a lot of those stories, so I'm not going to go into those. Um, but I also made some pretty bad decisions growing up as well, and, and he, he would always calmly and very firmly at times help me correct the situation. There was never yelling, there was never red face, there was never what, never what I could tell was seething on the inside and just holding back and and, you know, kind of being kind on the outside. No angry outbursts, no pointing of fingers or blame, just patient response. When H.M. Stanley went to Africa in 1871 to find and report on David Livingstone, he spent several months in the missionary's company, carefully observing the man and his work. Livingstone never spoke to Stanley about spiritual matters, but Livingstone's loving and patient compassion for the African people was beyond Stanley's comprehension. He could not understand how the missionary could have such love for and patience with the pagan people among whom he had so long ministered. Livingstone literally spent himself in untiring service for those whom he had no reason to love except for Christ's sake. Stanley wrote in his journal, quote, When I saw that unwearied patience, that unflagging zeal, and those enlightened sons and daughters of Africa, I became a Christian at his side, though he never spoke to me one word, unquote. My dad didn't preach to me a steady mantra or motto of, Son, you need to be patient like me. Son, you need to be patient like me. He just lived a patient life. And now I look back on that and say, you know what? I too would like to be known for my patience. I too would like to be known for my gentleness. I too would like to be known for my humility. Unfortunately, sometimes when we think that we're being really humble, we aren't. <laughs> and we get tipped into pride. But that's part of the process of growing up. Aristotle said this, that the greatest Greek virtue was refusal to tolerate any insult and the readiness to strike back. 
In fact, that seems to be a strong thread running through our culture today, but that's not what the Bible teaches. That's not God's way for his people. Who should, who should we be patient with? We are called to be patient with everyone. 1 Thessalonians 5.14 says, and Paul uses that word again, and we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive, encourage the disheartened, help the weak, be patient with everyone. Ah. But we, wouldn't we all say that it's a joy working with someone who's patient with us? <laughs> Don't we love it when someone is patient with us? We screw up and they don't just go all crazy on us. But they step back and they say, you know, that's okay. You know, I forgive you or whatever. You know, how can we grow in this next time? Now, I'm going to withhold the person's name to protect their guilt. But one night, one of my family members came to me and said, um... I just backed the car out of a driveway and I hit a dumpster and broke the, re the rear tail light in the car. And then they kind of went like this. In fact, this person expected an outburst of some kind as that had been their experience with previous instances with other people that they have had relationships with. But being my father's son... My thoughts didn't go to, why didn't you look in the rearview mirror when you were backing the car up or anything like that? My thoughts went to, gee, I wonder what that's going to cost and where can we find one? And I called a junkyard the next day and found one pretty reasonable and I put it in and that was the end of it. I didn't hold it over their head. I didn't remind them every time they backed the car out of the garage. Oh, make sure you're careful. Remember when you... No. Be patient. Humility, gentleness, patience. The fourth attitude, Paul says, characterizes a Christian's worthy walk is forbearing love. Man, it almost seems like these start from maybe sort of simple and kind of easy. You know, I can kind of, I can do the humility thing, you know, but, but, but oh, oh, then, um, you know, then there's this uh, gentleness thing, okay, and then, and then, and, and then there's the next one, which is patience, so that's a little bit harder. Oh, boy right? Forbearing love. Bearing with one another in love, Paul says. In fact, it, it seems like each one of these characteristics wars and battles with the other one. You know, we can't be forbearing in love if we're impatient and we're not gentle with a person. They all fit together. The New American Standard translates it this way, showing tolerance for one another in love. Okay, now love isn't saying just do whatever. Okay, that's, the, that's what comes to your mind when you hear the word tolerance in our culture today. That's, no, it's, Paul says tolerance in love. The New Living Translation says making allowance for each other's faults. Recognize, essentially, that we're all imperfect, that we all make mistakes, that we're all human. We all have weak moments, and we need to accommodate that. We need to recognize that those things happen. We need to prepare ourselves. Again, we need to be patient and gentle. 
We're all on a journey with our Savior and King. Now, I'm certainly not up here saying, well, it's just easy. Because it's not. It's hard. Our souls, our sinful nature wars against us with that. But the Bible says nothing is impossible with God. This is how he wants us to live. So as we surrender ourselves to him first, he then pours into us and strengthens us and breaks down our arrogance and our pride and shapes and molds us into what he wants us to be, which is the best me I can be. What God wants me to be. And as we're shaped and we're molded in our lives, if you've maybe surrendered recently, you begin to look at him and we begin to follow him. Now, I, all of my activities this morning I forgot to draw to bring up a, a dry erase board, but I wanted to draw two things for you. First of all, I wanted to draw a cross. Remember three weeks ago when I mentioned the telltale cross-shaped benchmark of God's true children? That, that was the, uh, the vertical Part and, and you can if you can think of a cross, you know, that vertical part is our relationship with God. It's our surrendering to Him. It's loving Him with all of our strength, soul, mind. And then there's that then there's that vertical part. Then there is that horizontal part, excuse me. And that's with each other. It's faith and love. Right? You know, Jesus said that, love, that we're to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And love our neighbor as ourself. And I wanted to also draw a, a triangle up here, and I wanted to put God at the top, and often when I do this with, in pre-marriage counseling, I put God at the top, and I put the, hus- uh, the, the, the guy down here and the, the lady down here. And this bears true, honestly, with any of our relationship. Mom, son, you know, friend, friend. If, if we spend all of our time working on this horizontal relationship, we will fail more often than if we instead focus on our individual relationship with our Creator and our Savior... And as we grow closer to Him, what happens in our relationship with each other? We grow closer to one another. I've seen this in my own marriage. When I'm wrestling and struggling in my relationship with Christ and and my wife is not, I slide down the, the triangle. I'm further from God and I get further from my wife. Because when I'm further from God, I'm less loving, I'm less patient, I'm less gentle... And that doesn't work well with my wife and I. Forbearing in love. Proverbs 10.12 says this, Hatred stirs up conflict, but love covers over all wrongs. It's challenging. You bet it is. But God says, this is how I want you to live, a life worthy of the calling that you have already received. Humility, gentleness, patience, forbearing love. And then the fifth attitude, Paul says, characterizes a Christian's worthy walk is unity. They do get harder, don't they? 
working together, pulling together, moving in the same direction towards a similar goal, it's challenging, I know. And we often get crossways with other people as we all travel our journeys of life, but we can accomplish so much more if we're pulling together like a team of horses than if we're all individually trying to pull the same weight. But we always say, well, it's the other person, the other person. They... I'm not even, I don't even have time to go there this morning. What about you? What about you? Are you thinking of that person that you're crossways with, with humility and gentleness and patience and forbearing love? I, believe me, this is, I know this is hard. But we can't just say, well, I'm willing to do all of this stuff to be a part of a secular organization, but when God calls me to things, well, I just, it's just too hard, I can't do it. No. No, we need to hear what God is saying to us this morning. John 17, 11, 21, and 23. I think I put these up on the screen this morning. Uh, I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, Jesus says, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are. That all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. You see, part of this unity, part of this message that we have as a church, as a church family, speaks to people outside the church. And if we're not unified, heading in the same direction, they look at that and they say, why would I want to be a part of that group of people? They can't even get along with themselves. I have given them, Jesus says, the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. They'll know we are Christians because of our love. It's hard. I know. I know. I know. But we are to be one as our Creator is one. This can't be one of those areas we just slide in. So I want to challenge us to look at our lives and our relationships, and I want us to humble ourselves before God and be obedient to repair and reconcile the relationships that are divided, that we know. I mean, you're thinking of that person right now in this moment, and you think, I can't do it, and you know what? You're right. It's got to be in the power of Christ. Can't get the cart before the horse. And these characteristics are so countercultural. I mean, one Spirit, one Lord, one God and Father. Now, I want you to write these two verses down uh, because I'm out of time and I planned to be out of time at this moment. You're, going, you're sitting there thinking, holy smokes, he still has two points left. You're okay. We're not going to be here till noon. Write down Jude, it's one chapter, verses 3 and 4. I'm not, I don't want to read them. I want you to read them. Jude 3 and 4, I want you to think about that this week. And 2 Timothy 2, 23 and 24. Now, what steps can we take to grow in these five characteristics? And I just want to pose one idea. 
Okay, whether it's on your note sheet or whether it would be better on a three by five card, I want you to write down those five characteristics and I want you to probably scotch tape them to the monitor on your computer. Now, I know not everybody does Facebook here, so maybe it's your mirror where you can see it every morning when you get up. But before you share that whatever it is, or you reply to that person who said whatever they did, I want you to ask yourself. You might even type it out. And then as you read it, you look at those five characteristics and you ask yourself, am I exhibiting these five characteristics in this? And if not, delete it. God says, this is how I want you to live worthy of your call, and this is how you can do that. And of course, this can apply to other cases too. If you know in your heart and in your mind that you're less patient and less gentle with your employees or with your boss or whatever, maybe you put these characteristics someplace where you can be reminded of that as you start the day, whatever it is. For you, for you uh, middle school and high school kids, maybe your locker would be a great place for it. Maybe you could just tape it over the top of the front of your phone. You know, you don't even need the phone on. That would be great. Try that for a couple days. See how your mind changes, seriously. See how you think differently. I couldn't do it. So if you do it, let me know. I will give you a hug and, I don't know, take you out to lunch or something. Let's, let's ask these questions at every level of our lives this week. You know, Ephesians 4 and, 5, 4, 4 and 5 right there says, There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, through all, and in all. And then let me give you the two final blanks. Uh, number three is the service of a worthy life. Okay, and now I want you to write verses 7 through 13 right there underneath that. Uh, I think I also put up there, did I put giftedness, teamwork, using our gifts? Yeah, maybe you might write this down too to, to sort of give you a, a guideline as you think through these verses that we didn't get to this morning. And I want you to maybe journal, write down, write, reflect on this. What then, if I'm doing these five characteristics, how then does that translate into how I live my life serving other people on an everyday basis? Number four is the strength and maturity of a worthy life, and that's verses 14, 15, and 16. And Paul talks about that each part of us does, that each part does its work, protecting and helping the body, growing in strength and maturity. What does that look like in your life? Think about it. Pray about it. Write some thoughts down. Don't just, you know, stick that note sheet in your Bible. Well, if you took notes, that's a good thing. It'll help you kind of remember. But don't just stick it in there and, and then, you know, one Christmas time, look through your Bible and see how many years of note sheets you have in your Bible. I've done that before. I know. Caleb, come on up here. And let's, uh, let's celebrate communion this morning. <clears throat>